Have you ever worn a really great disguise? I mean, better than this one. When I was a teenager, one of the highlights of my summer was when our youth group would play Hunt the Leader. So our long-suffering leaders would dress up in different disguises and costumes and hide around the local area. And we had to search them out, we had to spot them, we had to catch them and then tick them off on our list. And whoever spotted um, the most leaders first was the winner. And some of them would put on kind of just their jeans and a t-shirt and carry a bucket and pretend to be a window cleaner. But others were much more fun. So some of the younger um, guys might dress up as older people and wear a long coat and a scarf and a stick. And I remember one time when it was quite amusing, one of the younger leaders was dressed like that, waiting by a bus stop, and then suddenly was spotted by a bunch of us teenagers. And to everybody else's concern, he hitched up his skirts and ran for it, pursued by shouting and screaming teenagers. We caught him but it wasn't what people were expecting. Today's carol, the Calypso carol, or see him lying on a bed of straw, could have been called the carol of great disguise. I loved singing it as a child at school. I loved the Caribbean feel, the warmth of it. If we were really lucky, you'd be given some maracas to shake. But actually, as I look back at the words, it struck me in a new way. And that's one of the things that I've loved about this whole series, Keep Calm and Carol On. Because if you, like me, have got a number of Christmases under your belt, then you'll be very familiar with the Christmas story, with the carols that we sing year after year. And I've really appreciated taking time and looking at some of the words of these songs and what it is that they meant when they were written and what they mean to us today. So why would I call this the Carol of Great Disguise? Well, we've sung the words already. We've sung about the baby in a manger, a feeding trough, in a drafty stable. We've sung about the shepherds, the poorest of the poor, coming to visit this baby. But then there's kind of a killer line at the end of every verse which describes who he actually is. The Prince of Glory, the Saviour of the world, the Lord. And so come with me to Luke chapter 2, where we're going to read the story. So you may be familiar with the fact that Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. Mary was heavily pregnant and they had to travel to Bethlehem, which was about a three or four day journey, uncomfortable journey, in order to be registered for a census. That was the latest government regulation of the day that they had to comply with. And we start in Luke chapter two and verse six. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognise him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These words may be familiar to many of us. We're used to hearing that Jesus came at Christmas, that he came as a baby. But today I'd like us just to reflect on who he really is and what a great disguise that was. We're going to look at the names he was given and the way that people responded to him under two words, the words revelation and response. So let's start with revelation. The shepherds got their first hint that something unusual was happening when an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Luke, who wrote this account, was a doctor. He did research based on eyewitness accounts. And he tells us in chapter 2, verse 9, Suddenly, that means without any warning, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Golly, that must have been a shock. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Wow! You know, glory is quite a, a, a Bible word, isn't it? And it can be thought it can be a bit of a difficult word to explain. It's a bit like a diamond with lots of different facets to it. And there are lots of different references to God's glory throughout the Bible. But often they're associated with a sense of weight and a sense of lightness. And someone's described glory as this, the visible presence of God, his character and attributes made public. And so first of all, there's a broadcast, a great reveal, a revelation. The angel announces this amazing news and it's kind of backed up by God's presence being made visible to the shepherds there. He says, the saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, these names for Jesus carried huge significance for the shepherds who were Jews and who heard them. Saviour, Messiah and Lord. Let's start off thinking about the name Saviour. The nation of Israel had been waiting for centuries for a Saviour. Many Jews were looking for a political leader who were going to come and deliver them from the Romans who were oppressing them. Others were looking for a Saviour who was going to deliver them from sickness and physical hardship. Jesus' very name means the Lord saves. It describes who he is and what he does. He's the one who comes to deliver us from sickness and from sin. Now sin, you might find that as an uncomfortable churchy word. It describes a kind of ingrained selfishness within each one of us that affects our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. And it's so deeply embedded in each person that no amount of good works or trying hard or money can actually sort it out. It's something that can make us feel really guilty. 
It's something that can control us and make us do things that we don't want to do. And it's something that often has consequences for us that we don't actually like. Sin is a big problem. It's a barrier that comes between us and God. But you know, in Jesus, God offers us a rescue plan. That's what the whole meaning behind saviour is. He comes to save. Because we were made for connection with God. We were made to have a relationship with him. And sin, this ingrained kind of thoughts and words and actions and deeds within us, forms a barrier between us and God. It breaks that connection. It breaks that relationship. But the good news is that God acted to remove that barrier, to remake that connection. Jesus came, God himself disguised as a baby. And Jesus was a man, but he's described as fully man, so he's fully human, and so he can represent humans. But also fully God, he can represent God. And because he was able to represent both sides of this broken agreement, he could actually come and mend it. He could come and fix it. And the Bible describes how he lived, how he lived a perfect life, and yet how he was executed on a cross. And you might think, gosh, what a terrible tragedy, what a disaster. But actually his death on the cross was the reason why he came. Because his death wasn't the end. After three days, he rose from the dead and people actually saw him. People saw his physical, real, resurrected body. And then he returned to to heaven, but he promised his followers that he would send the Holy Spirit, his very presence, to be with each one of us. And after that time, you know, the Bible is full of people whose lives were touched and impacted by Jesus. And that is a truth that continues to be be so even today. We can choose whether or not we want to call him saviour. If we need saving from sin and the consequences of sin, then he offers to be our saviour. The second description the angels gave in this amazing revelation was that Jesus was the Messiah. Now that's a Hebrew word which means the chosen or anointed one. And in fact, the Greek word which describes the same thing is Christ. You might know the name, Jesus Christ. That means saviour an anointed or chosen one. The Jews have been waiting for a very long time, hundreds and hundreds of years, for God's chosen one. They remember the days when King David had been a chosen and anointed king. He was just a man, but he was chosen by God. And under his rule, as he cooperated with God, great things happened for the Israelite nation. And so the Israelite nation were waiting, longing and waiting for another king chosen by God. Because since David, a whole load of kings had come along. They'd kind of usurped authority. They hadn't been interested in whether or not they were called by God. They'd just kind of taken the throne for their own actions and to do their own thing. And the Jews were longing and waiting for God to send the Messiah, the anointed one. And that's why in Luke chapter four, when Jesus had grown up and he began his public ministry, it was so impactful when he went to the synagogue one day, he opened the scroll and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me. And then he read his job description to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free. He was saying, look, I'm the one. I'm the chosen one. I'm the anointed one. I've come. You've been waiting for me and I've come. And so Jesus was the saviour, 
He was the chosen one sent by God. And then the angels described him as the Lord. And this was such a special name for God from the Old Testament, a name that wasn't even allowed to be spoken of because it described the character, the presence, the majesty of Almighty God, who he was to his people. And here Jesus was being recognised as God, as, as part of this wonderful personhood who had come to connect with his people. And so that's the amazing revelation who Jesus was disguised as a baby, God himself. And those are just three words that describe him. And I would love us now to watch a short clip. It's about three and a half minutes long. And it's by a, a well-known African-American preacher called Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And here he describes Jesus. It has been set to music and there are some images that have been attached. And if you're watching with other people, there are a couple of images of Jesus on the cross. And so if you've got kind of younger children watching with you, you might want to distract, distract them from watching because it's quite impactful. But I think it's really worth watching because of the words and how Dr. Lockridge describes the king that he knows. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He 
It's impactful, isn't it? Not just focusing on one or two names of Jesus, but just so many, one after another after another, as we think about who he really is. <laughs> I love that line. I'd love to describe him to you, but he's indescribable. And so that was Dr. King's revelation of Jesus. And I wonder how Jesus has revealed himself to you. Maybe as you watch that clip, there were certain words or phrases or names that really struck you. Perhaps now as you sit and listen, or maybe during the worship, you were just aware of a peace and a presence and even a weight, maybe the glory of God resting on you. Perhaps you've got a series of coincidences in your life that are kind of drawing you to ask questions about God and to think about him that you can't explain. Maybe as the Bible describes of some people, your heart just feels strangely warmed. You feel a kind of emotion when you think about him or maybe when you look at the Bible or maybe when you hear songs of worship. God reveals himself to us in many ways. As we can see from this story, there are also many ways that we can respond. So let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 16. It talks about the shepherds Hurrying to the village, they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened, and the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now, astonishment, I think, is a natural reaction to this kind of thing. I don't know about you, but if someone came and told me they'd seen a sky full of angels, and they'd seen a baby who was going to be the saviour of the world, I think I'd be pretty astonished as well. And perhaps you've had experiences in your life that leave you astonished, spiritual experiences that you can't explain, maybe miracles that have happened that couldn't have happened another way. I remember that we had a family that we knew a long time ago who were desperate to have a baby and medically it wasn't possible. And we prayed and they were able to conceive. Everybody was astonished. But you know, astonishment isn't the same as faith. Astonishment is a kind of a wow moment, an amazing thing. But we can see from later in the Bible that lots of people were amazed by the things that Jesus did. They were quite excited by them sometimes. And yet they went on to execute him. And so astonishment or amazement is a natural reaction. But it's not the whole picture. Then we read about Mary in verse 19. We hear about how Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Another translation of the Bible talks about how she pondered these things, how she kind of mulled them over. Now, she'd already had a bit of a heads up about Jesus, hadn't she? She'd had her own encounter with an angel before Jesus was conceived. But still, it must have been pretty incredible, the journey that she was on, the experiences that she was happen having, 
And if it were me, I would be thinking about these things and wondering how it was all going to, to, act, to work out, what was going to happen. Maybe as she pondered, she had big questions. Maybe as she pondered, she had doubts. And perhaps that's where you're at too. And you know, questions and doubts are perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable, acceptable when you're looking at the things of God. Perhaps you would like to investigate those a little bit further with us. In the new year, just after Christmas, we're going to be running another Alpha course online at church. We've done several of those this year. And I know that many people have enjoyed the experience of connecting with other people, asking questions, discussing things, and finding out more about who Jesus says he is and what that means to us today. And if you're interested in that, do send me an email, joe at winchestervineyard.org, and I'd love to connect with you about it. Or you can just send us a message via our website. So it might be that you are astonished and amazed by God's revelation to you. It might be that you're thinking and pondering these things in your heart like Mary did. Or perhaps you're like the shepherds because their response was different again. It tells us in verse 20 that they went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. I love that they went back to their flocks. They actually went back to work. That was their job. So they didn't spend the time kind of just floating around and having a, a, a wonderful time around Bethlehem or in the stable. They had a job to do and that's what they went back to. But it says interesting, doesn't it? They can understand them praising God. Wow, God, you're amazing. But what does it mean to glorify God? If, if glory is God's attribute, is his character, which is what we've said before, how can we give glory to God? How can we add to his glory? Is that even possible? Well, God is whole and complete without, without us. But in giving him glory, I think what that means is that it, it's us recognising who he is. It's us describing, reminding ourselves of who he is. It's us kind of explaining and, and talking through the revelation that we've received. It's a way of us joining in with his amazing story. And, you know, as we glorify him, as we recognise his characteristics, as we try and live in line with those things... It's a really important way of us continuing the process of revelation so that other people can respond. Because as we get to know him, we change. We become visible expressions of God on earth. So then others get to see him and respond to him too. I don't know many people who've had visitations from angels. But I do know plenty who have connected with God because of the way they have seen him in the lives of their family and their friends and their neighbours and their co-workers. And you might think, well, I do know Jesus, but I don't feel very shiny or very glorious. But if you've given your yes to God, if he's filled you with his very presence, his spirit, then that will leak out. And you become God with skin on to those people that you meet. The kind or encouraging word that you share the friendship you extend, the practical care or the prayers that you offer are all ways to show Jesus to those around you and then give him a chance to respond personally. And so today it's worth thinking about the revelation that God has shown to each different one of us and how we want to respond. And maybe you have been being Jesus with skin on to many people this year. I feel sure that you have, Winchester Vineyard, because I've heard and seen some of what you've been doing. And perhaps 
what's needed next is just an opportunity to tell them about Jesus, to describe who he is, or maybe even just to invite them up to one of our Christmas carol services so that they can um, understand some more about who he says he is and what that means to them. I think the Calypso Carol describes Jesus well. It describes God coming in disguise. He hasn't come to hide from us like my youth leaders did. But he's come to show us what he, God, is really like in human form. How he lives, how he acts, what he says. And how much he loves us. <laughs>